Across the country, there have been calls to defund, dismantle, and demilitarize police departments to put an end to unjust policing practices. What does that look like? How will it be done? And what will law enforcement become in the future? Welcome to your New Mexico government. I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. I bring those questions to Black Lives Matter organizers, Albuquerque City Councilor Lon Senna, Mayor Tim Keller, and an actor-activist who trains law enforcement officers in de-escalation. Stay tuned. We have quite the show for you today. But up next, executive producer Marisa DeMarco is back with the news update of what we know today, Thursday, June 11th, as of 5 p.m. U.S. federal agencies used drones, spy planes, and other surveillance technologies on protesters, Al Jazeera reports. Customs and Border Protection flew a Predator drone over Minneapolis, according to public reports. The FBI used a plane outfitted to collect phone location information over D.C. And a high-tech spy plane with infrared cameras was flown over D.C. and Las Vegas, Nevada by the FBI and the National Guard. 30 senior Democrats in Congress are demanding that this stops in a letter to the FBI. Demonstrators have set up a Capitol Hill autonomous zone where police are not allowed and food is free outside the East Precinct. Trump is calling them domestic terrorists and ugly anarchists and is threatening federal intervention if the mayor and governor don't take back the city, according to the Washington Post. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham announced today that breweries can reopen on Friday at half capacity on outdoor and patio seating areas and starting Monday, indoor seating at half capacity. The transmission rate is falling here, officials said. There were 121 new confirmed cases today, the governor said, bringing the total to 9,367, and eight more people have died. The death toll stands at 420. People in prison for nonviolent offenses have still not been released, though COVID took the life of its first state prisoner and one in three inmates in the Otero County Prison are infected, according to the Santa Fe Reporter. One quarter of the people behind the walls are there for nonviolent drug offenses, including marijuana possession. The curve is flattening on the Navajo Nation, but Arizona is seeing a spike in cases. So Navajo officials are warning people to remain cautious. For your New Mexico government, I'm Marisa DeMarco. My next guest is Frankie Grady. He is a longtime community activist, and he's been doing a lot of work here in Albuquerque. Frankie, thanks for being with me today. Yes, sir. Anytime. So talk to me. What are the specific asks you're making of police here and statewide? So what we're trying to do is get rid of the school-to-prison pipeline here in Albuquerque. We're trying to get rid of the bail system, which is deplorable. We're trying to just get overall criminal justice reform. Because our numbers are so low here, it is ridiculous the amount of black people that are impacted negatively by the criminal justice system. You know, I'm not from here. I've been here for 11 years. But when I got into town, people talked about tolerance and tolerating, and they would try to you know, sell me on how multicultural it is. But living in different places and being here and observing, I'm like, it's not as multicultural as you think. Now people are beginning to recognize that and have those conversations. What type of steps do we need to do as a community to understand that and to make those changes? So it's going to take community involvement. It's going to take all voices. As you walk around New Mexico, specifically Albuquerque, you can clearly see that the dynamic as far as community services, uh, lack of opportunities for black people is astonishing. We do have some cultural centers and we do have the Office of African-American Affairs, which do a great job here in Albuquerque. But, you know, we need more. We need something specifically geared towards the African-American population here. That's a start. 
because if you are an outsider and you know you ask about Albuquerque as a potential destination for you and your family, people tell you, please don't come here. <laughs> you know, please just pass right on by. You know, and don't run out of gas on your way coming through here. We have to change that narrative. Hmm. Hmm. Now, specifically to the police, can you describe some of those things for people who are a little bit unfamiliar? Like, what is demilitarized? What is defund? What is dismantled? A lot of people are confused about it and they don't understand. Right. I appreciate the question. So let's start with defunding. When we say defunding, we don't mean to get rid of. That movement is what the the, the brother mayor did in L.A. He took $150 million from the budget and allocated that straight to the African-American community. Disbanding, it means to get rid of the police. Now, there is no plan in place to replace what that disbanding would mean. It means different things to different people. <laughs> but there's talk of community policing um, and then demilitarization means that, you know, we don't need tanks. We don't need AR-15s all over the place and, and we don't need riot police showing up. We don't need that. We need that mindset to go away. I don't know the last time, brother, I've seen an officer stop and say, hey, brother, you know, how you you having a good day? I just want to introduce myself. That's community policing. What do you think of the police response to the protests in the past week and a half? For the most part, they have tried to stay away from us. There are, you know, a few encounters that are unfortunate, especially with the encounter that brother Clifton White had to go through. And sisters and brothers are in the process of trying to get him free. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that APD has yet to take responsibility for that arrest. Now it's in the hands of the Department of Corrections. But, you know, you should be free to peacefully protest if that's what you were out there doing, regardless of your criminal history. Now, what do you think in turn of the city's response? I was a little disheartened. If you look over the course of the nation, as people were peacefully protesting, city officials came out on their own and joined the protests. Police chiefs came out and kneeled with the protesters, you know. It took quite a long time for this mayor to participate, and it wasn't, I believe, until he felt political pressure that he came out because, you know, all of a sudden there were news cameras and there was a press conference after. What we do not want and what we will not tolerate is being used as a backdrop. Now, this is a long haul thing. I want to ask, how can Black Lives Matter stay focused and energized for the long haul? But also, what do you think about the future and what do you hope for? I actually like that terminology, long haul. And as you know, when a long haul trucker has a destination that's clear across country, he makes several stops. So we know that this is a long process. But what I am hoping for, that we do not continue to fight the same fight that our grandparents were fighting. I am not under the illusion that because when I go outside, there's not a sink that says Negroes and whites, that those signs do not currently still exist. Once I'm able to walk outside of my home and take my children out, and I can peacefully, as a law-abiding citizen, go from point A to point B without having any negative interaction with the police or with the community at large, based on the color of my skin, that's progress. I want to thank you very much for being on the show. I look forward to talking with you in the future. Thank you for having me. My next guest is Arthur Bell. He is a black father of two and a Black Lives Matter organizer in Albuquerque. Arthur, thanks for being with me today. I appreciate you having me. So what do you want to see happen next with this movement here in Albuquerque? 
Overall, I guess what we're looking for is defunding of the militarization of the police departments throughout the state and for that funding to be redirected to youth programs and programs that actually affect long term. Can you describe some of those things for people who may be unfamiliar? Like what exactly is demilitarize? What exactly is defund and dismantle? Because there seems to be a lot of confusion over those terms and people hear them and they have, let's call it knee jerk reactions. Me personally, when I say defund, I mean to take away the militarization, meaning militarized tear gas, meaning certain militarized guns that our police forces don't necessarily need. And I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be dismantling the police force, rather just giving them the necessities that they actually need. And let's talk about that, because when people say dismantle the police force, and I understand their sentiment and where they're coming from, but I also respond with, well, how are we going to prevent crime? What are some of the changes that should be made so that we can still get a handle on crime, particularly violent crimes, but still have a police force that sees the humanity in people and and treats its citizens that it serves with respect? It's just to start hiring people that have compassion, people that actually understand that they're not here to necessarily police the community. They're here to help not have to police the community. Hire people that want to de-escalate situations instead of escalating situations. If we hire people that actually care and treat communities where they're working as loved ones and as their community members instead of criminals, then I feel like the problem would take care of itself. Now, do you feel like that comes in training? I mean, right now it's 20 some weeks of training in order to become an officer. Should the training be intensified and the qualifications to become a police officer raised? I'd be stupid to say training doesn't help, but I'm also not optimistic in training being that it hasn't helped in the past 400 years. So to me, compassion isn't something you can teach. We have to hire compassionate people. Tell me, what do you think of the police response to the protests? Actions will always speak louder than words. They say they want to help us and they want to move forward, and then they tear gas peaceful protesters. So if you show up to a problem looking like you want, I guess, another problem, then that's what you're going to get. And if they show up in riot gear, then that's the response that they get. In Washington, D.C., we've seen the mural Black Lives Matter. We've seen a lot of genuflecting from corporations, officials and lawmakers making a lot of gestures of we understand you, we hear you. But it doesn't seem to be too many concrete actions. What are the type of actions that you want to see where particularly lawmakers and leaders of certain institutions, what do you want them to actually do? Literally, I mean, we're talking about America to put their money where their mouth is. I mean, America was built off of a system that was set in place to do exactly what it's been doing for the past hundred years, and that's to oppress people of color. So in order to change that, we have to rip and dismantle that system and replace it with a system that actually represents the values of the country, which is liberty and justice for all. What do you think the future of the movement is? What do you hope for? I hope that everybody keeps uniting and that it's not a moment, that it is an actual movement. And everyone just applies pressure, puts their foot on the gas and keeps putting gas on the flame so we can keep going forward and pressing until we actually get laws set in place that implement systematic change and get us to the promised land, as Martin Luther King said. I hear that. Now, do you have any word for the governor, the mayor of Albuquerque, the chief of police? Talk is cheap. We love to see you all put your money where your mouth is, as well as put some more actions behind the words, because it sounds good, but we also like to see it look good. I want to thank you very much for joining me. He's Arthur Bell, black father of two and a Black Lives Matter organizer here in Albuquerque. 
This is URNM Government. I'm your host, Kaliole Kolona. We're covering life during the pandemic and how what's happening affects us all differently. Tune in Wednesday through Friday at 7 p.m. here on KUNM or find every episode anywhere you get your podcasts. I have on the line Mayor Tim Keller, the mayor of Albuquerque. Mayor Keller, thanks for being with me. How are you? Doing okay and glad to be on air. We're coming out of a week and a half of protests and demonstrations. What do you think of the way Albuquerque police handled those? Well, you know, our city is obviously in the center of a national context, and we also have our own issues. And so I think in general, compared to other cities, our folks have showed flexibility. They've showed as best they can restraint in trying to respect protesters' rights and keep them safe, and also try and protect from violence. That said, whenever there's protests and things like this, there's always challenges. And so I know there's been some incidents that are already under review. I am grateful that no one's been seriously injured at this point and that there hasn't been a lot of damage to the city. So by that measure, compared to other cities, I think we're doing a very good job. Now, APD did use chemical irritants to disperse crowds uh, in a couple of instances. And hundreds of doctors and public health officials nationally say that these lung irritants, specifically tear gas, they create an increased risk for coronavirus spread. Do you think there should be a rule against using those chemicals during the pandemic? You know, we're looking at this. I take this very seriously, and it's something that actually went through the courts and the Department of Justice reform process in the fact that we give multiple warnings before it's used, and it's one of the actions of last resort. But I understand that during the pandemic, this could be problematic. So we have it under review right now with respect to whether or not something should be changed in the policy. I understand it being under review, but how do you feel about it? We haven't hit the second wave yet. What's your call on it? Well, I'm very concerned about it. And I also know that, you know, I'm not an expert on things pandemic and so forth. So I want our experts to make a a decision on that and take it from there. But I'm very concerned about it. Now, across the country, we're seeing calls to defund, demilitarize, and dismantle police departments. City councilors in Minneapolis are working to dismantle the police department there. What do you make of these asks? You know, I think these are important, and in some ways, they're part of our city carving our own path to do its best for Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. You know, our department is in a very different place than Minneapolis's, and we have lots of problems and issues, but Minneapolis is just waking up to these kinds of changes, and we've been looking at them, and I do think especially in terms of reallocating resources, refocusing on our values, on our community, on building even up our youth programming, diversion. All of these programs are really important. And so I'm very interested in having that discussion. But we're in a very different place than Minneapolis, too. Yes, yes, we are. We're in an entirely different place from Minneapolis. But some would say that, you know, some of the prevailing issues in Minneapolis and other parts of the country do affect us here in Albuquerque. What type of discussions have you been having with members of the community and the police department? Yeah, we've been talking about a couple of things. We've been talking about how to really try and focus on decriminalizing our responses. So how we deal with mental health, which we have big problems with, Mm -hmm. how we deal with homelessness, how we deal with addiction and, you know, not asking our officers to be social workers and medical professionals. So that I think is a very important discussion we've been having with a lot of folks, including the department and city council and i actually i think we're going to make some changes in that area to try and move a lot faster i think the other aspect that we're also looking at is public safety means also investing in social programs that deal with poverty substance abuse uh, and behavioral health 
And this is an argument that we've been making a long time. And frankly, a lot of other entities haven't been listening. And so we are trying to use this as a way to push forward on a lot more social services in our community. Now, do you feel like with this current movement and the current attention given there, this will give you all momentum in actually having those entities who have been essentially ignoring the issue pay attention and take action? You know, I certainly hope so. And when we think of areas, whether it's our response to the behavioral health crisis, the addiction challenges that have long been with us, or how to deal with violent crime. We know we have some of the highest violent crime rates uh, in the country per capita, and we want to deal with them in an interruption way, this notion of breaking that cycle of violence by providing services and pulling people out of that cycle with help. That's our violence intervention program, and I think now we finally might be able to make some headway on that, thanks to the movement. Okay. Now, Let me ask you straight up. Do you think the Albuquerque Police Department engages in racist policing? I mean, I certainly hope the department does not. And we have tried through our cultural competency work and our reforms at the academy and our use of force reforms to completely minimize that. But I am sure it still happens. I mean, there's no doubt. I think it happens all over our country and all over our city. And so it's absolutely still a concern. So what steps is the city willing to take to eliminate that, not just minimize it, but to eliminate racist policing? Well, we're looking to what we can do upstream in terms of things like training and even getting in. We've started direct anti-racism training at the city level, and we're trying to push it directly into the academy. But there's also holding people accountable, and that's Mm -hmm. why... It's also very important that these kinds of challenges surface and that we take appropriate action. And in Albuquerque, we can actually do that because we do have all these independent oversight bodies that eventually this stuff surfaces and then we got to hold folks accountable. And over time, I think that will make a huge difference. Now, aside from training, are you all open to raising the scrutiny of applicants? Are you open to raising the qualifications that it takes to become a police officer? Yes, we are. In terms of qualifications and scrutinizing, that's absolutely something we're interested in doing. I do want to, you know, again, just highlight that we have our challenges, but we increased our qualifications and scrutiny greatly a couple of years ago. Again, because of use of force challenges Mm -hmm. and, you know, everything that was happening in the country before. So our qualifications and scrutiny are much higher than other cities, but I'm definitely interested in reviewing those further. But again, we got to carve our own path. And I know some of the examples that have been cited, our scrutiny is much, much heavier than those already. Now, people are calling on you and the governor to let the Black Lives Matter organizer Clifton White out of prison. They're saying his arrest is retaliatory. Will you consider looking to call for him to be released from prison? So we have called for a investigation on this. We wanted it to be independent. And so our Civilian Police Oversight Board is looking into this. And I'm very concerned about it, about what people are saying, and we got to understand what happened there. And so right now, the only decider in this equation is the state parole board. They're going to have to make that determination. But I also am worried about, to me, what I'm hearing is this is an example of these challenges we're seeing where for people of color, especially African-Americans, this lengthy parole situation where why is someone who had something on their record 10 years ago and and did their time still on parole with these kinds of restrictions. Mm -hmm. I think that is a really important example and it speaks to the need for parole reform. Personally, 
you're married, you have two young kids. What are the conversations about Black Lives Matter and what has happened since the killing of George Floyd? What type of conversations are you having with your wife, with your young children about this and the times that we're all facing collectively? You know, in our house, we talk about the issues facing our country all the time. And this certainly is no different. We've talked about how whatever we can do to, you know, one, stand in solidarity on a national level. This is a huge problem nationally, and it has been. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to get involved at the city level was to push reform at our police department. Mm -hmm. But when I see what's happening around the country and continues to happen, it makes us very angry. And also, in many ways, we want to make sure that we're doing what we can there. I think here, too, we're trying to understand how can we do more and how can we do it faster? And even with our kids, our kids are actually very young. So Mm -hmm. uh, we're doing our best to explain to them, you know, what's happening in terms of racism and discrimination. They're quite young. So, you know, it's we're trying to have that conversation. But they're they're a little young to really understand some of the nuances of it. But this is something that we think also, you know, I'm trying to understand and remind the folks that I talk to, you know, explain privilege to people because a lot of people don't get it. I mean, let's just be clear in America. I also trying to say, you know, what it means to be in this situation of like white silence and how everyone needs to speak out. Now they need to find a voice and a space to do it, but silence is not an option. So I've also been trying to sort of check people, uh, at least that I know who are exhibiting even subtle biases and so forth. So it's front center each and every hour of our lives right now. Will you all be rolling this type of awareness that's happening into the One Albuquerque program? Yes, we are. And in fact, you know, the foundation, of course, is actually chaired by an African-American, which it was before this. But I think this is a really important message. I always talked about the tri-cultural myth in Albuquerque, this idea that Mm -hmm. there's only three cultures here. And the examples right away that I would always point to that we have to appreciate, respect, and understand were the African-American community and the Asian-American community. And that was part of the concept of the one Albuquerque idea, is that we're in this together and we celebrate our diversity. We don't just pretend that it's just a couple of cultures. Yeah, and that's something that I've noticed, um, not being from New Mexico, but you know, being here for 11 years, people would always, in order to talk about multiculturalism, they would always say, you know, New Mexico is very tolerant. We're tolerant here in Albuquerque. And I, I would cringe when I heard that because I don't think tolerant is the word to use. You tolerate that which annoys you. You tolerate that which you can't stand, but you'll accept, even though you won't necessarily respect it. Talk to me a little bit about that. Like, what's t- what actual steps is it going to take to get rid of that tricultural myth that you mentioned? This has been with us. I'm not a like a history professor, but I do know this challenge in New Mexico has been with us for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this notion that you're referring to, and for us, it's we want to try and transition to not even just respecting different cultures, but also celebrating them, mm. and. That is why we've tried to do a lot around whether it was the African-American Chamber of Commerce or the Asian-American Cultural Center or celebrating even the International District Business Incubator. We've tried to actually invest in ways to hold up some of our lesser known communities to everyone else. And that even includes like the Black History Month Planning Committee and so forth. So I think this has just told us we have to invest more, and that's what we're looking at actually in the next budget cycle. How is this experience that you're in changing how you approach 
governing. What type of new ideas have you been given? Well, I think for me, we have a situation where we have set up over time a lot of institutions and systems and committees and, you know, whether it's like the community policing councils or the oversight boards or even in general, how we deal with city council meetings and so forth. And I think we need to continue to listen and to learn and to adapt. And I think what we've seen is, I mean, we have all these avenues for change, but they're not really effective avenues, Hmm. either because people don't know about them or we can't get attendance. And so we've got to look at all of these things and say, how can these be effective in this time of now? And that to me is something very different because when I came in, it was always like, let's create something new or let's use what we have. Mm -hmm. And I think now we've got to realize we have to adapt in a much different way because we can't just continue to create committee after committee and talk about stuff forever. Uh, We've got to actually take action. And right now, you know, we're almost paralyzed by having too many entities, whether it's the county, the state, the city, or uh, regional organizations. It's really holding our city back. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to thank you very much for being on. He's Mayor Tim Keller. Thanks again for being with me. I appreciate it. Thanks. I appreciate it. My next guest is city councilor of the great city of Albuquerque, Lon Senna. Councilor Senna, thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's jump right into it. Now, do you believe that APD or other law enforcement agencies in New Mexico engage in racist policing? As a system, police systems as a whole, I do believe that they have been engaging in a lot of racist policies and that hopefully we can be working towards changing that. And what type of steps do you want to see changed in our police department? Well, the proposed legislation, uh, the resolutions that we have to demilitarize is one solution. Granted, I understand that, you know, we haven't actually been utilizing um, the 1033 program that allows us to access military surplus equipment since 2015. But I think this is a step to say that we as a city shall never engage in that process ever. On top of that, I, I would love to see more um escalation practices be implemented, Mm -hmm. Uh, racial, cultural bias trainings. I know that they have, um, APD has been engaged in anti-racism training, but I think that that needs to be worked out even more to say that it is going to be fully encompassed into their trainings. Solutions like that, I think we can work towards. Granted, it's just a small step. This has been a problem throughout the history of the United States, and small incremental changes are not going to appease those who want to see change because they feel like this is my ancestors had to deal with this. And here I am dealing with the same situation 60, 100, 200 years later. How does that affect your idea of governance and how you will govern as far as bringing action to these proposals and programs? Well, as a decision maker, it really makes me reflect on, you know, the idea of policing itself, because I do understand. I do understand that historical context of the policing system as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, it's, you know, reacting to crime versus preventing crime. And I think that's with the whole notion of this push nationally and locally here of defunding the police department. 
that's something that I'm just looking into in terms of, okay, let's look at our budget. What are we committed to invest in? And that's something that as I, as a decision maker, as a policymaker, that's what's really pushing me to think back on. Let's look at what we are investing in. What infrastructures do we have currently that we need to be focusing on? You know, I know that public health is now on our minds because of the pandemic, but you know, there's other ways that public health can actually be addressing a lot of the issues, evaluating um, crime as a public health issue, um, evaluating racism as a public health crisis mm-hmm. um, is really important so that we can change that dynamic and think of it in a different way. What type of action are you going to hold not only yourself, but your other city council members to? How are you going to hold them accountable to take action and we don't have just the, these general symbolic gestures happen here? Well, for me, what I can commit to, I can't speak on behalf of my fellow colleagues in the city council, but, you know, I believe that anti-racism training is very important, understanding the history, the context, and not just of our own histories, but the history of, of others, and just understanding the bias that comes along and, and making sure that when we come into our crafting policy, that we have that mindset going into it and just understanding those histories. And that's something that I can commit to personally is committing to do further trainings um, myself. She is representative of the District 1 in the great city of Albuquerque, City Councilor Lon Senna. Thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you. My next guest is Daryl Deloach. He is a local actor and activist and he's a police role player. Daryl, thanks for being with me, my friend. Certainly, it's a pleasure, Khalil. So, describe your work for our listeners. It's pretty funny when I do try to describe it to people. I, I call sometimes I call it yelling at cops. Hmm. But what I do is called crisis intervention role play. So I act out individuals in crisis with officers, whether it be cadets, deputies. Essentially, this training is is what is used to help them better prepare for those crisis situations and use their communication instead of force. It's almost a role play, live simulation of how to de-escalate crisis situations. That is it exactly. Now, Now, tell me personally, what is it like for you in these trainings? I'm sure it can get very intense. Um... Tell me about some of the more moving personal experiences you've had with this training. It's it's work that is sort of touchy-feely, so it's, I encounter, I mean, you know, within law enforcement, there's there's pushback towards it as hug-a-thug, or it's not safe to be that sensitive as a police officer. So it's work that I find the, the most rewarding when I, I'm able to actually create scenarios that are real for an officer and then they come to me and say wow hey i that's that's not what i was expecting Mm. i learned something today and i get to interact with you know officers on a very huge scale and i can honestly say that most of my experiences is that they they want to help people we're in this moment where there is again a lot of anger and focused on racist violence from the police since you've been doing this work, what do you make of where we are at right now? So I, I try to focus locally. I mean, I, I worked with that consent decree that was you know, issued on the local police department and stuff. I assisted in, in training officers in use of force. 
And I can honestly say that there is change. There is movement towards a different model of policing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't be there. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been there, and and we wouldn't have continued this training so long. Yeah. To me, there are other issues that, again, when we talk about that fabric and and time, like the the drug war had a huge effect on how yeah. our policing is done now. True. You know that that cry of defunding to me. A, a huge change in our attitudes towards the drug war could easily free up a great deal of resources. What do you think of the way the mm-hmm. city has handled the protests and everything thus far? I'm actually pretty proud of how Albuquerque's handled it overall. The protests have, have really been focused on, on a message apart from the damage and, and the other things that were done. I'm a big fan of the chemo and it was heartbreaking but it's also a volatile we have a city that's you know hurting in a lot of ways and we continue to uh, throw the police at these problems as a solution and I'm just it's very clear to me that we have problems locally that we're going to have to find other solutions for yeah. I mean I, I think I think everyone's understanding that the change is happening and accepting of it in ways but it's it's like if i were to tell everyone in albuquerque or new mexico look no more green chili no i mean that Mm. you know i mean (laughs) good luck with that (laughs) yeah it's 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 a it's a shift it's a cultural shift yeah we'll have to find some other spicy stuff yeah (laughs) no i have no not getting rid of green chili no yeah no no we're gonna keep that around we're gonna have to yeah we're gonna need it we need it lots of it figure out ways to adapt and for people to work together i want to thank you very much for coming on to the show I really appreciate it. Thank you. you for having me. Yeah. I, I hope to talk to you in the future. He is Daryl Deloach. He's a local actor and activist, and he has been engaged in crisis intervention role play with the police for over a decade. Daryl, thanks again. Certainly. Take care, Kelly. Tune in tomorrow when we talk surveillance, social media, and misinformation bots during the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement. We've got some really big guests lined up. Here's a hint. If you've seen The Great Hack, you better tune in. Tomorrow at 7 p.m. on KUNM. Looking at my iPhone, it's about that time for resources. Find a full list of the resources we talk about on each episode and opportunities to donate or help online at bit.ly slash ynmghub. Learn more about Positive Policing by heading to their website, positivepolicing.solutions. And if you want to reach out to Daryl Deloach, email info at positivepolicing.solutions. Find a link to the bill from Albuquerque City Council members to stop military surplus from coming into APD on this post online at KUNM.org. And the Juneteenth celebration is coming up soon. For more information, head to Facebook and look up Albuquerque Juneteenth 2020. Hear us now on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays on KUNM's Airwaves at 7 p.m. As always, you can find the show on KUNM.org or subscribe anywhere, anywhere, anywhere you get your podcasts. 
Your New Mexico Government is a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage is provided in part by the Thornburg Foundation, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, the New Mexico Local News Fund, and KUNM listeners like you. Your New Mexico Government is executive produced by Marisa DeMarco, theme music by Pope Yes Yes Y'all. It's produced by yours truly, thanks to the dynamic duo of Nash Jones and Ty Bannerman for putting in the editing work. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and for everyone here at Your New Mexico Government, thanks for listening.